today. It is good to see you. Got to walk around and shake a lot of hands. I'm glad you're here. We um, want to welcome you. If you look in the worship guide, there are a couple opportunities for you just to, for you to pay attention to um, as far as the backpacks. Please, let's make sure we get all the supplies for that. And then also um, the new DU study that's coming up on the 27th. Dr. Fuller will be back and teaching the first six chapters of um, Daniel. And then um, you can also see some notes about the fall festival. So there's several things for you to start getting ready to be a part of. Also in October, we'll be having our church picnic. I think it's the second Sunday evening of October. And we'll make more, let you know more about that. But make plans to come over to Shaco with us and meet us for that. But let's stand up and greet one another. We're glad you're here.
We are glad you're here. And, uh, our call to worship comes out of the book of Revelation, and so let's read it together. Would you join me? And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord. I can hear Dan over there. He is back from surgery. Um, he would love it if you give him a real big bear hug and went, you know, at the end of the service. <laughs> now he just had some back surgery, but Dan, we've been praying for you. We're glad you're back. But it is good to have you. Listen, um, let me pray for us, and then um, David's going to come and read our scripture. Father, thank you. You are indeed worthy. We give you praise and honor and glory. We join with the elders. We join with the four living creatures and express that you are holy, holy, holy. We praise you. And as we worship this morning, may we worship you as you deserve to be worshipped. May we worship you with our whole hearts. Help us tune in to you, to listen to you, to look for your presence today, to expect it, and to be changed by it. Speak to us today through your word, through the singing, through the preaching, through the giving, through every aspect. May you be praised in what we do today. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Good morning. This morning's scripture comes from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the, yields, the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This is the word of the Lord. I Stand and join our voices in a hymn medley this morning. It's uh, when, we, when the roll is called up yonder. Soon and very soon, when we all get to heaven, what a day that day will be. The roll is called up, Gunner, number 600.
don't know if I shared it before. I think Spurgeon is right that in heaven we will sing some of the great songs on earth. And certainly it is well. But as we sang it, I was thinking of that and thinking we won't have to sing that last verse because the trump has already resounded by that time and we've already seen his face. What a day that will be. Amen. What a day that will be. In our Jesus we shall see. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for singing. For the singing that has taken place in this room today. And to think of those songs that we sang. Just to think of all those who sat right where people are sitting now and stood where I'm standing and sang those same songs. And many of them, faith has become sight. They've seen your face and we thank you for that. We praise you for the gift of music and we praise you for the gifts that you have given to the body of Christ, the, those who play so that our hearts can sing and rejoice and those who lead and sing for us and sing with us and help us even to be more confident to sing out. Thank you, Lord, for our choir musicians and Barani and thank you for the authors of these great hymns. Thank you for the words of scripture that inspired them. And God, we know that over and over again, you tell us to sing, to sing new songs of your praise. So it's just been good to be in your house today, to sing with the, my brothers and sisters, and to look forward to that day when we will cross over the Jordan and we will be with you forever. We thank you for your word and we confess that your word is true. You tell us to cast our cares upon you, to lift them up to you, to be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication. So we lift up those who are hurting. We lift up those who are going through cancer and going through just all different kinds of health problems. We ask, Father, for you to give doctors and nurses wisdom and that you would strengthen those who are sitting with, with their loved ones even now and that, God, you would bless them and encourage them. And God, we pray for your healing. We will see in just a couple of weeks where you, you tell us to pray for healing. But we thank you that our ways are not your ways. And sometimes the healing you choose to give is better than anything we can imagine. You take us and give us a heavenly healing where we are with you and the things we've sung about today are reality. I thank you for your word. James has given us some hard words in the last several weeks. And, and now we, we get to turn toward the end of this great book and get some, some practical ways to live our lives. So teach us today, Lord, I pray. Teach us and help us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. James chapter five, verses seven through nine. Just, we're going to finish James out the week before, the last week of the month of October will be a combined service um, we'll do what we did last time. We'll come together and worship and pray and go to the Lord's table. And, um, and, but we will finish, if, if we're willing, we'll finish the book of James the week before that. And the first week of November, start the book of Colossians. And so um, I've been praying through that and studying it. And, and so you, I just encourage you to go ahead and start reading through it, getting ready. It's a wonderful, wonderful book uh, that tells us about who Christ is. But let's look at James Five, seven through nine. If you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading and the preaching of God's word. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. 
See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And let's go ahead and read the next two verses that we'll see next week. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. Let me start with confessing something um, that I almost did. I warn you over and over again not to do what I almost did on this text. When I started to study the text, I, I was ready really to get through the first six verses and get through that part of James. And, and I was ready to jump right into that command to be patient, to establish your heart, to show you that the Lord is coming. And I was, I was already ready to write the sermon, but I was going to do it outside of the context of the book of James. And what I've warned you over and over again is when you study scripture, you can't just pull it out. You've got to take the word and see it in the context of what has come before it and leading it up. And so we can see what the writer is saying. And so I just want to start right there with the context. Spirit chastised me a little bit and said, hold on. And, and I went back and began to look at the context. And, and there's two things that I want you to see. First, the context of the entire book. And we won't spend a long time there, but, but think about where James started. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let its endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And James goes through in, in, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and he talks about the, the being steadfast and, and considering a joy when you face trials of different kinds. He says we do that because it produces something. It produces steadfastness. It produces endurance that, that we become perfect, that's mature and complete, lacking in nothing. He, he's come full circle now. After all that he said, he's coming back to where he started in James chapter 1. He, he comes back to the trials, and he shows us that patience brings fruit. The, the fruit that patience brings is the pathway to sanctification and spiritual maturity. The fruit that patience brings is the pathway to sanctification. You won't grow holy without it. You won't be what God's called you to be. You won't be spiritually mature unless you learn to be patient in the midst of the trials. It's interesting in chapter 1 verse 12, he speaks of the crown of life and, and here he tells us that Jesus is standing at the door. It's all full circle. He he, he shows us the goal for living in our text. He says that it's, it's the farmer's patient harvest and, and the ultimate experience, as we'll see next week, of, of compassion and mercy. He's come right back to where he started. Look at the context. And then not only the context of the entire book, but the immediate context. The immediate context here. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, he shows us the oppression of the rich. I told you that that I believe for the first time in this book, he, he stepped outside of those who were saved. And he says, here's what the, the rich who are not saved are doing to the body of Christ. He talks about the rich inside the body of Christ. So, but now he, he, in that passage, he seems to be talking about those outside the body who are oppressing them. And, and, and what he does is he, he shows us how to respond to the testing of faith. It's important to see in this context that, that when he tells us to be patient, he's, he's doing so in the context of being oppressed. The circumstances that call for patience, 
Get this, the circumstances that call for patience are the very things that bring it. The circumstances that call for patience are the very things that bring it. And we have to see this. And when those times come, those circumstances come, we, we listen to what he says. Look at verse 7. Be patient. And then look at that word there. Therefore, brothers, sisters, until the coming of the Lord. That therefore is tying us into verses 1 through 6. Be patient, therefore, because you're being oppressed, because of what's going on in those, those verses. Therefore, wait, be patient. And, and so he gives us the second thing is three commands. So you see the context and, and we see three commands. And, and the first one's very obvious. It's be patient. Be patient. Patience is is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have patience, right? That's what the Bible says. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have patience. I didn't say you always act or I always act with patience. But that's an area of failed obedience. It's not that we don't have patience. We have it. The Holy Spirit will give us His patience if we will learn to rely on Him. Be patient. As you might guess, it's, it's an imperative. That's a command. Be patient. Patience is, it is distinctly a Christian virtue. One writer said he, he went back, he looked at classic Greek and, and looked at the times of James's writing, and there's no reference to that word in the classic older Greek. It's in the New Testament that you find it. It's distinctly a Christian virtue. It, it speaks of self-restraint that does not hastily retaliate a wrong. Patience. Trust the Lord. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and when we're filled with Him, you remember it, when we went back to the first of the year, I, I preached on being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and living in the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. When we live that Galatians 5 life, when we, when we walk in the Spirit, fill with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, when we march according to his steps, patience will be a part of our life. And so if patience is not a part of your life, start with your walk with the Spirit. Go back there and begin to understand that, that as you walk in the Spirit, he produces it through you. I, I don't mean you'll suddenly be perfect in this. It's a lifetime process for all of us. We'll see more about it next week as we look at the prophets and Job himself. James gives us an example. It's very practical. It says the farmer, the farmer plants a crop. What does he do? He, he plants the crop. He waits for the harvest. It, it takes patience. The early rain that he speaks of here is in their, in their um, harvest and, 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 and agricultural cycle, their, their early rain was in October. I thought about it last night as it was raining, that, that the early rain would come. And, and, and what it would do is prepare the ground for them, but it also would cause the seeds to, to germinate. It would make germination possible. They needed that early rain. And then they'd have the rains throughout the, the time of the crop, but the late rain would come in March or April, and, and it would cause... This is just what I was reading. It would cause the grain to swell. It would make it full. It'd be more productive. They would have a better crop with the, with the later rain. The farmer was dependent upon the early rain. He was dependent upon the later rain. He was dependent on both. But get this, he had no control of either. No control of either. In life, we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. But we do not control the circumstances. We don't control what happens today and tomorrow. Tomorrow. 
we must learn to see, as James is telling us, we must learn to see hardships as opportunities to grow. The point James gives us is, has been, been driven home to us since James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He's been preaching this message to us all the way through. Be patient. Be patient. And then you come to verse 8, and he repeats it again. What happens when the Bible repeats itself? It's reminding you, pay attention. You also be patient. It's the command again. But then he says, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Two commands in verse 8. One of them is the same as verse 7, be patient. The second command is establish your hearts. And, and what James is saying here is be patient, but secondly, be ready. Be patient. Be ready. In verse 7, he says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. And now in verse 8, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's interesting, the word establish your hearts. Some translations, strengthen your hearts. What's interesting is it's the same Greek word that we saw all the way back in Luke. And, and I'll help you remember this. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 it was a key pivotal verse in James, our study of Luke. Because it was there at the end of Luke 9.51 that it says, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. That little word, set his face, is the same Greek word as establish your hearts. It's the attitude. It's the heart of what James is saying. Set your face. Establish your hearts. Be ready. Be ready for what's coming. Troubles will come. Persecutions will come. Church, tribulation comes to the church. Be ready. It's coming. It's already here. And when it comes, don't run. Don't fight like the world. Don't fight back like the world. Don't act like the world. Set your heart on Jesus' return. And be patient. And be ready. Because he is coming. Act almost just took this out of the sermon because we've heard it so long. But we need to remember it. Act like you would have acted if you knew he's coming today. Now, if you, like me, you grew up in revivals where preachers said that and scared you to death. And there's nothing wrong with that. A little fear is good for us. But how would you have acted differently this week if you knew that he was coming. The Bible says that's how we live because we know he is coming. He may come for us through our death. He may come for us through his second coming. But he's coming. Be ready. James says the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now let's just try to break that down for a moment. The coming of the Lord the, the word coming is, is it's, it's, it's the most popular word in the Bible for the second coming. And, and I've got a Sam Mountain pronunciation of it. It's parousia, okay? Um, that's not, when you look at how to pronounce it, that's not how they tell you to pronounce it. But parousia it sounds good. And, and it's P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A. Parousia. It's... It's the most common word in the New Testament for the second coming of Jesus. But what's interesting is, it's not really just about his coming. It's about his presence. And when they use that word, what, what they're saying is, is that his physical presence is coming. 
We won't be apart from him forever. He's coming. He'll take us by the hand and we'll see his face. He's coming alongside of us and we will never be separated from him again. That's worthy of shouting. He's coming. He's coming. Keep your eyes. Keep your hope on him. He's coming. And he will right every wrong, church. That's why we're patient. We don't have to right it. We don't have to fight like the world fights because he will fight it. He will ride it. He will make all things right. James says this at hand. That word means near. It's drawing near. I, I, I've told you for years now, I remember hearing this comedian, and, and it was just blasphemy, but she said, she said, all you Christians talking about Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. It's, it's been 2,000 years. Sometimes the church thinks that way, though. We tend to think of near as, I hope the end of that sermon is near. It's right around the corner. And it is. You got to get out in time for Sunday school. You, you've got the best service. You know I'm going to get done pretty close to time. It's near. We tend to think of near as, 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 as yesterday. I, I took KJ on a hike. I hadn't been on a hike in a while. It was about a two-mile hike in Chihaw there and two miles back. And, and I got around to this one section, and I knew the car was near. We tend to think of near that way. But it's been almost 2,000 years. Was James wrong? Were the early New Testament writers wrong when they said that Jesus was near? I never thought about this. I was reading this week, and a guy named Moiter, M-O-T-Y-E-R, he he helped me tremendously by helping me remember something. I love the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I love Tolkien's writings. And, and, but one of the things that he showed, and, and I never thought of it, but it made perfect sense when I read it. He said, if you go back to the Chronicles of Narnia, Lewis can help us because C.S. Lewis seemed to think or seemed to see that kingdom time and earthly time operate in different spheres. Kingdom time, heavenly time, and earthly time operate on different time scales. If you've ever read the book or watched the movie, the children were ushed out of the, out of the city to go into the country because of the war. They got away from bombing, and they were, if I remember, in an uncle's house or a family member's house, and it was a big house, and they were playing in the house, and one playing hide-and-seek. And one of the little girls, Lucy, entered into a wardrobe. And when she walked into the wardrobe, it was a, it was a, a door into another world. She stepped from the wardrobe into Narnia. Eventually, her two brothers and sister came with her, and they, they enter into Narnia. They leave earthly time. They walk through the wardrobe. Now they're in Narnia. And if you read the line, the witch in the wardrobe, they, they continue to grow. They, they become kings and queens. They fight these battles. They're there for years in Narnia time. They conquer the white witch through Aslan, and they do all these things. And, and then one day they're, they're, they're riding on the far side of the country, and they see a lamppost. And they remember the lamppost. It's a faint memory. And they step back through the wardrobe. And those who had been in Narnia for hundreds of years, it would seem, have now stepped back and found out that on earth it was just a few minutes. Earthly time and heavenly time, two totally different things. The coming of the Lord is near. It's near in God's time. Listen to what Peter said. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. That's what Lewis was picturing. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. Be careful to say it's slow. But he's patient towards you. Here's why. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The fact that Jesus hasn't come back yet speaks to the fact there's still people for us to share the gospel with. There are still people to be saved that haven't been saved. There's still work for us to do. But I was thinking this week, not only the fact that Jesus hasn't come again means that there's still work for him to do in us. He's still sanctifying us. He's still growing us. And so when we look at this, be be patient. The Lord's at hand. Be ready. The Lord's at hand. Be patient when the trials come. Be ready. Persecution will come. Consider it joy, James said in chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. Oppression will come. He says it here. Be patient. Times will grow harder and harder. Be ready for Jesus is coming. Yes, it's been almost 2,000 years, but, but we are a lot closer to that coming than James was. Get ready. And live ready. Jesus is coming. And then he says one more thing in verse 9. Do not grumble against one another. What a good word for the church. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now look at that and understand. Be patient. Be ready. Be holy. Be holy. Do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. That word grumble, MacArthur said that word grumble speaks of a a bitter, resentful spirit that manifests itself in one's relationship with other people. A bitter, resentful spirit that manifests itself in our relationships with others. We've heard it for years. It's almost cliche, but it is so true. Hard times make you bitter or better, right? They make you bitter or better. James is saying, let hard times not make you bitter. Let them make you holy. Let them make you more like Jesus. Grow through the difficulties. Why? Look at what he says there. The judge, capital J, the judge is standing at the door. He's near. He's coming. He's standing at the door. We, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we will face the judgment seat of Christ. Church, that's us. As children of God, we will answer. Now now listen, let me say it again. Not for our salvation. If you're saved, that means you've been justified. Declared not guilty. Declared righteous. The righteousness of Christ is now leading you toward holiness. And you're being sanctified. and, And one day you will be glorified in the presence of God. It's not that you'll answer for heaven or hell at that moment. But as a child of God who has been justified, who is being sanctified, who is going to be glorified, you will answer for what you've done with the things you've been given. You you can't read the parables of Jesus and not see this. Over and over again, Jesus gives us parables of, of the master coming back. The talents, the land, the, the, the farms, the master comes back. And what does he want to know? He wants to know, what would you do with the talents I left you? What would you do with the gifts? What would you do with the abilities? Let's, let's put it in our vernacular. What did you do with the platform that I've given you? Did you use it for my glory? Did you use it for your own glory? Did you use it for kingdom advancement or your own advancement? Did you shine the spotlight on yourself or did you turn the light toward Christ? 
We cannot, dare not, shall not spend our lives trying to steal the glory of God. Paul David Tripp, in this little book I'm reading with some guys, says, don't be a glory thief. It's going to be our next church t-shirt. Don't be a glory thief. Give the glory where it belongs, to God. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So live like you'll know you'll answer for every action. Speak like you know you'll answer for every word. Spin like you know you'll be accountable for every dollar. Be ready. Be patient. Be holy. Next week, James will give us biblical examples of how to endure and how to wait. But let me just remind you, just as we close here, the farmer plows the field. In James' day, no tractor. He plowed either with an ox or he plowed just with a hoe-like instrument, back-breaking work. He plowed the field. He planted the seed in faith. He waited for the rains. He trusted for the rains. He trusted the Lord to cause the growth. It goes back to Paul. I planted Apollos water, but God causes the growth. He does this thing, and, and he knows. He does all of this because he knows, he knows what it will produce. If he plows, if he fertilizes, if he plants, if the rains come, if God does his part and does what he says he will do, if the farmer does what he's supposed to do and God does what he's doing, then there will be a harvest, and the harvest will make the work worthwhile. It's easier to go to the store and buy a bag of frozen purple whole peas. But there's nothing quite like fried pork chops. Thumbs that are purple from shelling the purple hulls. Fresh purple hulls and a big thing of cornbread. Make you hungry. There's nothing quite like it, especially when you planted the seed. And it grew. And you harvested it. The harvest makes it all worthwhile. Child of God, we plow. We plow. A Christian life is back-breaking work. We, we don't see immediate results. But we keep planting. We keep watering. We keep discipling. We keep sharing. We keep praying. We keep reading the Word and memorizing and trusting and meditating. We trust God to take that seed and make it grow, and we wait. And we know that the harvest is coming. We know that to see His face mm, To see his face and know that we will be here with him forever will make it all worthwhile. So be patient, church. Be ready. And you're ready by being holy. Amen. Let me ask you to bow your heads. Hardships may be right in the midst of your life right now. And if they are, I know what it's like. And I know what it is to gripe and grumble through them. But I also know what it's like to praise through them. I don't say that I succeed like you probably, I usually see the, the growth of the, of the trial in hindsight more than in foresight. 
But if you're in the midst of it right now, and you know you are, would you, would you ask the Lord? And I know we always say, don't pray to be patient. But listen, we ask him to help you to be patient, to trust him. You don't know what he's doing, but trust him. Are you ready? He is near. You watch the news. You see the world. And I know every generation has been able to say this, but can you think of a generation closer to the coming of Jesus? Are you ready when he comes? Are there areas of sin in your life that that you would be ashamed to be in the midst of if he were to come? To be holy. Be holy. As Ronnie comes to get ready to lead us in singing, let's just pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I just thank you for how practical this is. But how deep. But help us not to make it complicated. Really, it's simple. Trust you. Look for you. And live like we believe you're coming in any time. If there's something we should do today publicly, help us to do it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. I need thee every hour. Let's sing that together. Y'all know Annette Manning. She's a member of um, my, my, my favorite ladies that meets on that side of the building, <laughs> Sunday school class. I just thought about, I'm about to be in trouble. But um, she's a member of Pam's class, and she's been coming for a while. I've been coming on Wednesday nights and been a part of this church for a long time. But she's coming to join our church. She's been saved and baptized. If you rejoice in that, will you say amen? Amen. 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 Yeah, that's good. We clap for those things. And um, you come by and see her and congratulate her. I'll be here at the door. Dr. Gold will be right back there in the foyer. Um, Dr. Gold bought donuts like a drunk sailor coming to port this past year. And uh, his budget is run out. And so if you're expecting a big plate of donuts, Richie, you're probably going to be disappointed today. Uh, but he's got a few donuts for you, but not like this bid. Uh, blame it on the finance committee and the financial secretary. It's Sandra. She cut them off. But anyway, uh, thank you so much for being here. Please stay and be a part of Sunday School. Come and see Annette. We're glad that you're here. God bless you. That's what I knew it was a while back. So. <laughs>